Oh, oh, hi. Oh, hello. Oh, how did you find me? I thought I was all alone at the Music Tectonic Ski Lodge, my little retreat during the winter holidays. But here you are. I bet you want a podcast episode for the holidays, don't you? Well, you know, it's the perfect time to look back over the year. So why don't we pull up one of our favorite episodes? This one's from August 2023, Looking into the Mixed Reality Mirror with Lee Keebler. In the past year's hype cycle, AI became the big buzzword du jour and the metaverse took a back seat. But our guest Lee Keebler knows what's been going on beneath the surface and why the tables may be about to turn again. Lee, also known as Keebs, has been working with music in immersive experiences and extended realities, AR, VR, XR, MR, all the R's, since before those terms existed. So let's return to Dimitri's conversation with Lee on what's next for music in the metaverse, why spatial computing is a big deal, and why the Apple Vision Pro headset is an important next step. Enjoy this rebroadcast from the Music Tectonics vaults, and we'll be back in the new year with more music tech interviews and information. Cheers. You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors, the PR firm, and of the Music Tectonics Conference. It's coming up this October 24th through 26th in Santa Monica. So back in June, Apple announced the launch of their new spatial computing device, Apple Vision Pro. And the reaction was... Well, it was kind of all over the place. Cynics declared that VR or the metaverse was dead, but the announcement pumped new life into the XR community, the mixed reality community, where veterans of the field were excited to have the right manufacturer in place to carry out the sci-fi visions that have been in process for the last several years. And to get to the bottom of the debate, I'm joined by Lee Keebler. Lee holds over 10 years of experience in building innovative and immersive technology experiences in spatial computing, robotics, and all things virtual and augmented realities, starting as a touring DJ. Might have to hear about that. Credited songwriter and music producer, Lee has been building immersive experiences, which informs his views on the Apple Vision Pro. At Intel, he worked to make the Olympics accessible via VR and to develop uh, to developed AI based skeletal tracking software to measure an athlete's performance. Pretty cool. Lee's the perfect person to help us interpret where things are going with spatial computing through the music tectonics lens. Lee, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. All right, we're gonna dive in. I'm really excited to talk to you. We've, we've met up at conferences and, and stayed in touch online. Um, and I just, I, I'm just excited about your depth of knowledge of both the music side and the spatial commute, computing or mixed reality, whatever you wanna call it. It's a little weird. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, it's, the names have been changing. <laughs> um, but that, that combination is, is cool for, for our music tectonics audience. What types of immersive mixed reality and spatial computing projects have you been a part of and what's your role been? Oh, that's that's a tricky question because that's actually how I got started into tech. Um, so, you know, prior to, I would say like 2010, 2011, I was just in the music industry. Um, I worked in radio. Uh, so I always had like this techie background where I was really into like the early adoption of like IP audio for radio stations, things like that. But I was touring as a DJ for a lot of artists um, and a musician. Uh, but what happened was... Uh, I bought an Xbox 360 
um, back in like 2011. And it had this new piece of hardware in it called a Connect. Nobody really knew what it was. It was this weird thing that came in the box. I wanted to play Call of Duty. This thing <laughs> came with it with a free game. I set it up. And I'm a big nerd when it comes to like my favorite movie is Back to the Future 2, specifically Back to the Future 2, because mm -hmm. that movie portrays a positive look at what the technology in the future can do, which at the time everything was like post-apocalyptic. Even today it's all mm -hmm. post-apocalyptic. Yeah. That movie was just like so positive about what 2015 was going to look like. Uh, and as a kid, I really latched onto that because that was the future I wanted to have, not this like Terminator future that I kept being shown. And um, I had what I called my like little uh, wild gunman moment. There's a scene in Back to the Future where uh, Elijah Wood, yes, little Elijah Wood, he's a kid. He's the kid in Cafe 80s of this movie where Marty McFly plays wild gunman, the old arcade machine. And he looks at him, he's like, you have to use your hands. That's like a baby's toy. And that stuck with me. So when I set up that connect, I had this like aha moment of, oh, you have to use your hands. That's it's like a baby's toy. Like all of a sudden I could use movement to control what was happening on the game. And I quickly realized like this is the worst way to control a video game, but the technology got me really interested in it. So I took my connect apart and I broke it. And thankfully I went, they still sold them. So I went out and bought another one and I broke that. And I think I went through like three or four before I could wow. figure out like what was going inside, going on inside of this thing. There's blogs online cause there's no like Reddit or anything at this point. And I'm just trying to figure out like, I don't do tech, but I'm, handy with a soldering iron and I understand wiring and cameras and stuff. And I, I start getting into this thing and realizing, Oh wait, I can, I can use this system and use a language. Cause I wasn't really a developer um, from a company called cycle seven cycling 74 uh, that allowed me to connect it into Ableton live, which was relatively new at the time. I was like, Oh, I can control sound. Oh, wow. I have it hooked up. To my, it's no longer connected to my Xbox. It's now connected to my laptop and I'm controlling sound. And like at the time, me and this like group of like five dorks scattered around the world are calling it gesture recognition because we don't have another term for it. We didn't realize it's computer vision, early computer vision at this time. Um, but we're all finding different things that we can do with this piece of hardware. And that's kind of where my my start started. Nice. Um, I was in Nashville, Tennessee. And I was working with another brilliant mind, Daniel Schlesinger, who was playing with RFID chips and tricolor LEDs. And he was like the like bar manager or something at a, a, a dive club called 12th and Porter. It's not there anymore. Hmm. Um, and we had access to his attic of this like location because I was like renting an apartment in an attic over in like South Nashville. So I had no space. Um, and we started just tinkering with this like technology. Uh, and in doing so, we started our careers at that moment. Like 2012 was like a magical time. Um, what he worked on ended up becoming uh, a company called Glow Motion, which is now responsible for like when you watch like the Super Bowl or the Olympics and they do, they have like the wristbands that have LED lights and they like bitmap with like the Pepsi logo on the side of the audience. That started, that started in 2012 in the attic of 12th and Porter with me wow. and Daniel Sussing. Wow. Like a handful of like people who now, were just like, what, this is cool. And what happened to you? What were you doing with that technology? <laughs> so I am taking this hardware that I'm now controlling my DJ setup with. Mm. And uh, Daniel and I are like, we should do a show showcasing this technology. So we do and we throw it out there and we do a show one night at 12th and Porter uh, and like a 
we backlined it with like artists we knew people were going to like show up for. <laughs> so we did like the first 30 minutes. We had a friend of ours who was really into videography come in and like kind of film it so we could have show. So he's demoing the wristbands and I'm demoing this gesture recognition system that was controlling the effects. There were other people who were trying to control sound and it kept coming out like a theremin. And there's a reason theremin is <laughs> not a popular instrument because it like the human brain doesn't understand music if it's off of a grid right you just get this like weird tonality ethereal crap going on that kind of sounds like i like the theremin but okay keep i do too (laughs) but but you were using it for effects but i was using it for effects so like i could grab the sound in the air and i could like squeeze the low pass filter and like kind of get that pumping sound that was really big in edm at the time edm was like Right at that precipice, Skrillex and Dead Mouse are are, are are super famous, and I'm just like this kid in Nashville who doesn't know what he's doing. But what annoyed me about the DJ market at the time was like this was when the DJs would like turn a knob, throw their hands in the air, and like the crowd would go nuts. And I'm like, that doesn't do that doesn't mean anything. I was yeah. a I was a vinyl DJ. Uh, I was a scratch DJ. My, my I wasn't like necessarily listening to the EDM artists. I was a DJ Qbert fan, right? I was a Mixmaster Mike fan. Um, cause they were doing something yes. with the technology in front of them. I was like, I can do this in a different way. So I started doing yeah. this and that video gets produced and someone uploads it to like YouTube. Um, and it doesn't go like viral, like six people saw it, but one of those six people happened to be Will I Am from the Black Eyed Peas. Mm. Um, and so like I do the show, I kid you not, they upload the video. I go to bed the next morning, 6am. I have an email from Will. And I don't know who it is, right? Because like his email address is not Will I am at blackipeas.com. So I don't know who this William Adams guy is. We go back and forth. He's trying to convince me. This guy's like, no, this is dope. I want to see you. I want to see this in person. Can you get to LA? So I finally talked with his management and he's like, no, dude, like this is actually who you're talking to. He's only in town for like a couple of days. Can you go to LA? Um, okay. Yeah, sure. I, I tell my boss that I was an engineer at a radio station and the, for anyone who's listening, like who will eventually have something like this happen to them, this is how you know you have a good manager. My my boss, I tell him the story of what happened, and he looks at me and goes, you're fired. And I was like, what? And he's like, you have a job when you get back if nothing happens, but you have to go do this. So you're temporarily fired. You have <laughs> to cool. go chase this. He's like, I'm going to still pay you, but like you're fired if you don't go do this. And so I was like, okay, dude. I'm going. Like, it was the best moment that I ever, like, best interaction you cool ever boss. had with a manager, right? Yeah. So I go and meet Will, and we hit it off instantly. He had a running bet inside the uh, his, like, office um, that he knew it was real, but he had, like, technical people who were like, no, this is all staged. This is all choreographed. Because um, it was like, now, looking back at it, we all know this technology exists. But in 2011, like, no, this was pretty minority magic. report level sci-fi. So, um he offered me a job on the spot. Nicest oh, wow. dude in the world. He's, you know, he's just one of the most kind-hearted nerds you'll ever meet. He's really into tech. He actually knows his tech. He lives it. Um, he was like, you need to keep pursuing this, but, you know, I want to see what you can do with the budget. So um, I moved to Los Angeles, oh, and wow. I became, like, his tech guy. I helped design this, the what's now the Black Eyed Peas Studio, the the future uh, in North Hollywood and got that off the ground. And, uh, we did a lot in like experimental tech and in art installations. We did a really awesome art installation in Australia with Intel, um, and him where you actually, for, uh, an event they call Vivid Sydney, we don't know about it here, but like, it's kind of like this ongoing yearly event during their winter, which is our summer 
where all of the buildings are projection mapped. It looks like oh, something out cool. of a sci-fi film. And he wanted to do something different. So we took the um, the Museum of Contemporary Art. We we projection mapped it with uh, with art. And then we set up my gesture recognition systems in like three places. And people could go up at any time and like just grab in the air and grab a shape and move it around on this art grid. And as they did, it remixed the music that was playing. So you had three people working in tandem that could like remix the 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 black eyed peas music or whatever's on uh, you know playing in the speakers that was a really cool art installation that was like my introduction to spatial computing and it really kind of helped me just out of the curiosity of it and having that creative freedom helped me understand like how a computer sees through a lens mm. and not just a lens but utilizing um you know lidar and and, and depth and like where the pitfalls are and all of that so that was like how i, I got into spatial computing it was it was not a uh, usual you know method but it worked for me. I, I mean i love it man you're just pursuing your cu curiosity uh yeah. you broke some stuff like literally broke some stuff oh uh, and, then, and then and then played with some stuff kind of invented some stuff and then let your curiosity open doors which is super awesome real briefly can you just talk about some of the more recent projects and the in the work you do yeah. Um, so, you know, the big one that I, I was really, really happy with, uh, the Olympics in VR, um, uh, I, I, there was this whole stint in Nashville where I, I then went and started a, a, a VR development team uh, that did a lot in like manufacturing and pre-visualization and like the dawn of like the 2015, 2016 era for steel. And that was super boring, but it was like really good. Um, and that just kind of led me back to this conversation with Intel, which I was introduced to many years ago because of the thing in Australia with Will. And um, they were like, hey, we've got this position. Uh, we're looking at like staffing up to get the VR application out for the Olympics. Do you want to be a part of that? And I was like, yeah, because I had a background in broadcast already. So it was just in a unique position of like, I've been doing VR. I knew the company. Um, and, and I was, I'm still a big fan of Intel and, uh, and the people there. And I knew the VR space. The only thing I didn't know was the Olympics. Right. Um, so I was like, ah, I can figure that out. So went and kind of was just a big, a part of what was at the time called Intel sports. Um, and they were doing a lot in, uh, volumetric, which I've always been very interested in. Uh, but our division was looking at like stereoscopic, uh, virtual reality, live video back to the VR headset, which at the time was in the transition of the Oculus to the Oculus two. So we had to like overcome that. Um, and it's a global thing, right? So now I'm working with multiple broadcast holders who now have to have like localization for their languages mm. and releasing multiple apps. So it was like really learning how to put together an application that I understood, but how do you like globally distribute something that is now a live broadcast, but global, right? Like it's not just in the US. Obviously that was like our main focus, but we had to service a bunch of different countries. So that was cool. Um, and then, you know, we were hitting a deadline for 2020. Nothing moves the Olympics. Right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you can't just, uh, we're a little late, guys. Can you? Uh... It, until it did, because COVID <laughs> hit. <laughs> and the, like, the actual impossible happens. And so that, that, that application actually just was kind of like done at in 2020 and it kind of uh -huh. sat on a shelf as COVID hit because uh -huh. we were now relocating the olympics so i got an opportunity to work on a system called 3dat um which 
harkened even further back to this old skeletal tracking days because that's effectively what I was using with the Connect. Um, and we started using cameras to leverage AI to track the human form without LIDAR and then points of light and things like that. And they had they couldn't be special cameras. It's just like 4K cameras like 100 yards away in, in, in a stadium um, and getting AI to recognize the human form of the fastest people in the world. So, you know, 30 frames per second ain't going to cut it. Uh, and, and that was a really good introduction to what we would realize is AI. But we, you know, we were just looking at it as like intelligent skeletal tracking. Um, but now, yeah, like that, that's really was a really cool thing. And that actually got used in the broadcast where they were able to break down like these performance athletes steps in a way that you couldn't see with the naked eye. Um, but the computers could do it. So that was really cool. Um, most recently, you know, I, I spent a lot of time, I've known, uh, Kathy Hackle since I think 2016, she's well known in the VR metaverse, whatever name we want to give it this month space. Um, and I love her to death. Uh, she's, she's part of my like, uh, tech family. Um, and so she was starting to work with a, a new agency and she's like, Hey, I'm building up like this, uh, development team. Um, and we're doing some cool stuff and I think you'd like to get into it. And I hadn't really been in like the gaming space yet. Mm. I had been doing a lot of like live tech, spatial computing, stuff like that. Not really feeling like the gaming area yet, which has always been something I wanted to do. So I was like, yeah, and I've, I've wanted to work with her for a long time anyways. And she was, you know, really awesome to like set up and we built a team and we, uh, we actually ended up working on a, a Roblox game, um, for Walmart. Uh, and that that might not make a whole lot of sense to like this podcast but one of the things that we did and now it's really got my mind spinning in different directions is we held uh, a concert in in that roblox world called electric fest uh that was sponsored by walmart and it had um young blood and a bunch of like other new artists uh kane brown was one of them um madison beer was the other one uh and we did a full concert in this system and coming from like my touring dj days with like fairly sizable well-named artists and seeing like this new group of artists that they would do well in a festival but at the at the time maybe they wouldn't like pack out their own stadium by themselves um they probably would now uh but not right you know that was really interesting because we, i watched like these three artists that were really gaining momentum do 40,000 people in a show because it's, it's, it's the power of having like global internet access right? Um, and, and getting their new music out there and like building the digital merchandise that would normally be in a merch truck, but now like your Roblox avatar could wear it. and kind of seeing this new approach to how we're going to have to hybrid the live music production scene, the concert scene, the techs that we've been using all along into like making it accessible to everybody yeah. else. And so I was the director on that project. Um, and it was uh, surprisingly fulfilling to see that come together. Yeah, it's cool. It's like another kind of another application of what you were doing when you were tinkering with your It's so Xbox. strange how it all like, it doesn't, it's not like this linear line, right? right? It's yeah. a constellation. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of stars that don't connect to the picture that I've done, but you start seeing the points of light where you're like, Oh, I can do this now because I do this. And it might, it might hit like 10 years later, but all of a sudden you're like, 
wow, this is so similar to this. And I never thought I'd ever use this moment here. It's so crazy. It just yeah. tells its own story. Super cool. I'd love to hear all these touch points along your career that led to where you're going next. Um, we have to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to get to our headline topic, which is about the Apple Vision Pro and what it means for where things are going. We'll be right back. The news cycle of the music industry and innovation in particular is accelerating at such a fast pace, it can be hard to keep up. That's why I launched Rock Paper Scanner, a free newsletter you can get in your inbox every Friday morning. Check out bit.ly slash rpscanner. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash rpscanner. I scan hundreds of outlets for you from the music trades to the tech blogs, from the music gear mags to lifestyle outlets so that you don't have to. I handpick everything music tech, including industry revenue numbers, AI, cool new user tools, the live music and recording landscapes, partnerships and acquisitions, and everything else a Music Tectonics podcast listener would want to know. Open a browser right now and punch in bit.ly slash rpscanner to sign up right now. Go ahead, hit pause and go to bit.ly slash rpscanner or find the episode's blog post on musictectonics.com and find that link. Happy scanning, but for now, happy listening. All right, we're back. And Lee, uh, as I mentioned right before the break, uh, great to hear your your kind of your career trajectory, starting with uh, breaking stuff and then getting uh, kind of spontaneous introductions to people that kind of... I still break stuff. <laughs> That's good. Don't ever stop breaking stuff. If you stop breaking stuff, you're not doing anything. Like, Did I see on your LinkedIn page, it talks about... Um, was it your LinkedIn page, or maybe it was on your website? I'm not sure. It talks about like don't, not not losing the, the the playfulness of of childhood or something like that. Oh yeah, my 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 catchphrase is never grow up. Yeah, um, it's uh, I, I there was a there was a barcade in Nashville that had this neon sign, and I was like in a really down point at this. I was like, I gotta like get a better job. I've got to go sit in a cubicle or something like that. And I so I go to this barcade and I'm just bummed. And there's this neon sign. I hope it's still there. And it says, uh, don't grow up. It's a trap. Oh, that's good. I love it. Uh, and that's that it will forever be. I've worked for teams and companies that are like, we want you to change your, your banner for LinkedIn. No, nah, never going to happen. You can't do that. Um, like that's my banner. That is it. Like don't grow it up. A it's trap. a trap. You don't have to. It's a completely unnecessary process. <laughs> nice. Okay. So um, Lee, what does the launch of the Apple Vision Pro mean for spatial computing? You're, you've got this technical knowledge. You've got music. You've done these experiential things and these big global broadcast things. Um, you're, you've got some great perspective to help us really understand this. Um, yeah, how, how do you see it? It's validation. Um, Apple, there's a couple of things to understand about like the history of Apple. And I think a lot of people need to like take a step back and like not look at the hardware that's presented because it's never been about the hardware that's initially presented ever in the history of the company. Um, like they do their flagships, but their flagship flagship is never what's actually important. Um, so I've been in this space for a long time. Uh, I was the, let me, let me, when I say long time, let me really qualify that. I don't mean 2015. When I was like 12, I was the kid who saved up all of his birthday money and went and bought a Nintendo Virtual Boy instead of an N64. Um, like the, the thing that everyone's forgotten. I believed in the dream of VR when the nineties was lying to everybody. Right. <laughs> and I totally got caught up in that, uh, as a kid and that never went away. I just understood like, we're just not there yet. 
Um, and so when 2015 hit and all of a sudden you had this like fledgling startup off a of Kickstarter called Oculus pop up, I was like, oh, now, now we're getting somewhere. You know, and a lot of people don't realize like the first Oculus, like proof of concepts were actually two iPhone fours taped together. <laughs> um, so it's not like, like I've, Apple didn't know they were involved from the start, but it's like they were in a way kind of involved from the beginning of all of this when, you know, Palmer Lucky's out there taping iPhones together, putting them behind lenses, trying to figure out how to like reposition the gyroscopes in them. He was breaking um, stuff. <laughs> and, and breaking stuff. Uh, and, and so, you know, I was a little surprised that it took this long to get there. And I will admit that there was moments where I was like, ah, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but I, I pushed through it because the technology is interesting. And I think it's a part of human nature to want to like interact in a different way. Seeing it come out and how they're producing it, I think gives a lot of validation to all of the like negative Forbes articles who, you know, and I'm not just calling out Forbes, like all of these like industry publications that will release a wow vr is happening and then like another author within the exact same publication 30 seconds later releases the vr is dead article because they're just hit, trying to get people to click depending on what they believe in right like that's the <laughs> that's the press industry yeah um technology is one of those things where people see i think they see themselves in it and quite honestly if you're a boring person and you look at a vr headset you're going to see nothing like you're just going to see, yeah, it's two led screens that are strapped to your eyes and like, okay, whatever. But if you're, if you're like in that creative mind who can still look at a cardboard box and see a castle, um, you're going to look at a VR headset and see a completely different planet. Hmm. Um, one of the things that I say often, and I don't know if I coined this or not. I don't know if I heard this or if this came to me in a dream like decades ago, but I firmly believe I was born too, uh, too early to, expl to explore the universe, hmm. too late to explore the world, but I'm here just in time to explore humanity. And this is how that happens, right? In this connective technology. And I don't mean explore humanity and like get in flame wars on Reddit. I mean, explore humanity of like, be in a digital landscape where I'm interacting with my colleagues and strangers and people that I would never have a moment and like removing all of the preconceived notions through an avatar of like, gender, race, financial background, blah, 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 all of that. And now you're actually starting to get to know a person based on like, how they want to be presented is such a unique experience that we could not experience that level of connection to another person until this decade in the humanity of man. And if we're not taking that advantage, like what are we doing? So like removing the friction of all the societal um, yeah. forms of oppression yeah. and prejudice and preconception and all that totally. stuff and, and see the actual soul of somebody through, through this avatar experience. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I mean, it's not perfect. And the, and the world's still broken, right? And look, I'm not on this VR is the empathy machine thing. Like there's plenty of podcasts and other conversations I've had where I rail against that idea. VR is not an empathy machine. It's a stinking tool. And what that means is it will highlight who you are. If you are an empath, like a naturally empathetic person, I think you will find more empathy through this hardware. Hmm. If you are a troll, 
<laughs> troll, you're going to be able to troll better in this hardware. If you are a, uh, a, a, a violent person, you're going to find violence through the video games in this hardware. It's just going yeah. to highlight and, you know, exaggerate, I think, who you are. Hopefully, it also gives you an opportunity to, like, reflect on that and change, like, who you are because you're meeting with other people who are not like you for the first time. Mm. So I think there's a positive there. But I'm not on this, like, VR is an empathy machine. I think it's, like, a really interesting mirror. Mm-mm. Interesting. If that makes sense. It, yeah. It reminds me of uh, Jim Collins has a book called Good to Great that's about the best, like, the most successful businesses. And he says technology is an accelerator. And yeah, so yeah. if you're doing, if you're not doing very well, technology will, will speed up how bad you're, bad you're doing, but I guess it works on the emotional level too. You know, I have friends maybe outside of music and tech who reacted to the vision pro the way they've been reacting kind of to, to meta Facebook, thinking mm-hmm. that the metaverse that meta promoted is dead. Um, and it's kind of interesting to watch the hype cycles around, you know, metaverse and NFTs and now AI, but What's your perspective of this idea that the metaverse is dead? It's interesting that Apple didn't use the term metaverse. They talked about spatial computing, which is a slightly different angle, but maybe they also just wanted to distance themselves from the, the metaverse version that came from meta. Just how, how do you think about metaverse or whether that's just a semantic thing or whether something is different or changing? Metaverse is a term derived from snow crash you know, a book from, what was it, late late 80s, early 90s. Great book. Fantastic, you know, early vision of the future. Um, but it's it was coined as a buzzword. It was coined as this sci-fi word. Um, and I actually think that it was probably a miscalculation on Facebook's part to convert to meta and really try to capitalize on that. Um, it probably did more damage than good, but in a way, I'm kind of glad that it's out of the vernacular at this time um, because I don't think it should ever have been. Uh, years ago, um, I was referring to this all as spatial computing. And what that does is it gets you out of the NFT conversation. It gets you out of this like, the reason metaverse took is because frankly, it was a bunch of charlatans who were trying to like piece anything they could against the wall to get you to pay attention to whatever it is that they were selling you. Right. Um, and I just pissed off like a bunch of people come at me, yo, like this is what was, this is what happened. Um, and, and spatial computing is very much an acceptance of, of like, this is what the hardware is actually doing. It is, computing the spatial awareness of your surroundings it is taking the computer like i said earlier in the last segment and seeing how the computer sees the world and then giving you that access that's important i love the term virtual reality and augmented reality i actually will always use those terms even if apple chooses not to Hmm. um but i think apple utilizing spatial computing dodges a lot of negative press because Mm -hmm. you start talking about metaverse and does that mean roblox because that's got its own drama. Mm-hmm. Does that mean Fortnite? That's got its own drama. Um, does that mean NFTs? Horizons. Does that mean um, you know cr- the crypto winter? Does right. what does that mean? Yeah. And it's well, a catch-all. I, I, I thought you know? the I thought the when when the metaverse got kind of combined with NFTs and Web three, I thought that that to me felt like it was a different thing that that 
The thing that I like about the term because metaverse... you've been paying attention, but yeah. <laughs> if you weren't paying attention, yeah. it was intentional to confuse you. Yeah, maybe, or or to co-opt kind of a kind of a hype cycle. But the yeah. thing that I like about the term metaverse, and and um, I'm not wedded to any terms at all, uh, is that it it implies a, a place, a space, you know, like universe, metaverse, mm-hmm. whereas spatial computing seems like it's a tool it's a technology and when i'm experiencing it now you're a creator you're using these tools lee so it makes Mm -hmm. sense for 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 you to be especially with your origins of busting something open so you can do this gestural recognition control features that then became a tool for creativity makes sense that you're you come from that creator you know the, the designer the creator the inventor of those those experiences but as the user of those experiences one of my most favorite things about the types of quote metaverse experiences I had during the pandemic mostly and a little bit with the Oculus um, 2, the Quest 2, is I feel like I'm going somewhere. I feel like I am someplace else. And that's what's interesting mm-hmm. that that it that implies. But um, but I guess you're talking a bit about the, the 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 semantics a little bit. And I'm curious about will there be these virtual spaces? <laughs> you know, that's Absolutely. where I think uh, the the, yeah. the 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 hard part about Meta's choosing of that and then it not coming to reality about putting out avatars with no legs and just not getting the kind of network effect that I think they were hoping for. Um, is that people associate that metaverse with the metaverse? And I'm like, no. And I think we're going to need that. a new. We're going to need a new term eventually, yeah. and one will crop up. I think that that term just got burnt, and it didn't yeah. have to. And like, let me let me be really clear. The the reason why, because I I actually my mom was an English teacher. She was like, words matter, right? Describing things matter, and keeping consistency matters, especially when you're trying to like bring new people and usher them into like an era of something that is completely foreign. And the problem that I have with the term metaverse is that it does not exist anywhere. Um, Because the metaverse is not Roblox, and it's not even VR chat, which is probably the closest thing that like a lot of like VR enthusiasts think of the metaverse. But those are all still walled gardens those are just like video game engines that are processing a video game like if you want to take the term of like metaverse and break it down to the the real you know points of what those meta and verse right it is a universe within a universe um that means that all of those locations need to somehow be seamlessly integrated to each other and we do not have that right Mm -hmm. we do what we don't currently have and i actually like to circle back to what i the Apple question. I think this is what Apple will actually fix. But what we do not have is that seamless point where my created identity follows me into VR chat, but also follows me into rec room and also follows me into whatever my virtual work environment's going to be where I'm meeting people. That doesn't exist. That consistency is where I think we'll have something that is akin to what we all want to be seen as the metaverse. But right now we're just using the metaverse to define a bunch of like 3D VR video games. We should just be calling them VR gaming, you know, or, or what have you, because it's not honest to the term. I got you. Yeah. So I want to take this a little bit more specific and direct in one sense. Um, you know, the Apple Vision Pro launched, is it, I guess it's going to be available in 2024 at a price point of about $3,500. And I, and I have a question for you, because some of the criticism that came up on the launch was the price point. So is this for wealthy people? Is it for early adopters? Is this, who is this for? Developers. Gotcha. Like, it's that simple. Like, okay, so 
you learn from the past, right? And so if we look at Apple and we look at when they released, the last time Apple released something that was like considered bat crap crazy was the iPhone, mm -hmm. right? Um, they had no business being in the phone industry at that time. Right. That, there was no history of it. It was weird that they even considered it. And the first iPhone was wildly expensive. It had one carrier. It had a two megapixel camera on it, and you could only launch one app at a time. It was not a good phone, even at its launching standard. It was not a great phone. What it did was it, it introduced things like multi-touch, and it put a keyboardless phone into people's hands, which was very foreign at that time, right? And no one bought it. When the iPhone launched, it did not create the pictures of people wrapped around the Apple store like we all have in our heads. This is part of that like Mandela effect that I think we've adopted to the history and like legacy of the iPhone. The, the original iPhone was had the exact same articles written about them, almost word for word, that we're seeing from the Vision Pro of like, who is this for? And it only does this. And it is wildly expensive. Like, this doesn't make sense. Um, and then they within a year followed it up with the iPhone 3G and everyone bought it. And it was the 3G that caused everyone to like line up around the, the, the block mm -hmm. um, because you could run multiple applications. You had options for carriers. It was $200 as opposed to whatever the, like the last one was, it was obtainable. Um, and what I think Apple's doing with this is you're going to see developers need to get a head start because there's nothing in the store. So that's who's buying it. People who are going to make money off of the $3,500 investment. So you got that. That's a market. They've already said that they're cutting down their initial pr uh, production uh, projections because, and you had to read between the lines, but they said because they're operating on building uh, the next more affordable version of it. Mm. So what you're going to have is you're going to have a stent where developers have it and you will have a couple of the Apple, the wealthy Apple fanboys that are going to do exactly what Apple told them to do. And that is wear it on an airplane in first class. Um, and they're going to be seen with it. And, you know, there's going to be CEOs who are playing because I saw this happen with the iPad. They don't know what to do with it when it launched, but like every CEO kind of had one. Doctors were playing with it. So you saw people that you wanted to aspire to their success level for a very brief period of time, but you couldn't afford it. So that when the version that came out afterwards was still expensive, but it was more obtainable, you had motivation to buy it and it did what it needed to do. And now you had things in the app store, you know? So like, that's what I think is happening, right? Um, it's a brilliant play. It's still going to be more expensive than the the MetaQuest Pro, probably not by much, but you will be convinced that you're going to get more from it because of where you saw this occur, uh, where you saw it for the first time. Got right? it. Um, yeah. So it is a luxury item, but not this version. I don't yeah. expect anyone in this version to get it. Gotcha. Okay, we got to take another quick break, um, and when we come back, uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, what the App Store might look like, what the uh, development might be there. We'll be right back. You've heard Dimitri and Trister on the podcast. Now come hang out with them. I'm talking about Seismic Activity, Music Tectonics free online event series. About once a month, we convene the music tech community for networking, discussions, and demos by innovators and inventors. 
Join us and tune into the tremors that are about to become major shakeups in the industry. See upcoming topics on our schedule and register for our next event at musictectonics.com. These aren't your usual sleepy webinars. Seismic activity is fun, fast-paced, and interactive. Everyone who works for Music and Tech Meet is welcome. See you soon. All right, we're back. And as someone who uses an Oculus Quest 2, I'm not like a super deep into mixed reality or VR or anything, it, but it appears that the biggest failure, sorry, Meta, has been getting enough developers to build cool new stuff. Um, if anyone can build a scalable app store, though, it's got to be Apple. But it seems like VR and AR experiences are just so expensive to build and then sell to the masses. Will Apple face the same challenge, Lee? Well, I um, I respect you deeply, and I think you know that. So when I disagree with you, uh, it's nothing personal. Um, we can. Fight. I don't it's know. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I would say that Meta had a hard time getting uh, applications out. I think that the applications were probably a little bit misguided. Like they got some good games out. They had a weird era where they had to transfer um, from PC to a mobile device. And mm. this is what squeezed the store market, right? There's a ton of amazing stuff. I mean, is it as robust as like the Nintendo Switch store? No, absolutely not. Um, and it will never, it should never be as robust as like the Google Play store because like 98% of the Google Play store is garbage, but it, there's a lot of it. So like it, it's, a, it's kind of a weird numbers game. I think Apple, or uh, not Apple, I think Meta made a really good um, a attempt in the early days and i've seen this waning so i'll, I'll ding them for that but in, in the early days they were really picky about what they put out as someone who like had to re to release um the vr application for olympics on the quest i went through like their process and at least back then um the store was more curated because they didn't want shovelware to overflow the, the market, um, which did, did kind of make it look sparse for a little bit. But the stuff that came out was really good. You know, Beat Saber was a hit. Uh, Population One is a hit. VR Chat, I'm still surprised that can run on a mobile device. Um, Rec Room is going to launch on, you know, the, the Vision Pro because they're on top of it. Um, so I just think it was more limited. Uh, what I didn't see, and this was a business decision, I think, on Meta's part. You'd have to ask them if I'm right. Is they didn't see a lot of industrial enterprise solutions. Uh, they didn't even talk about that until about the Quest Pro about a year ago. Um, and I think that was probably a miscalculation because there's plenty of VR uh, enterprise solutions that have come about um, that I think would have put those headsets in more industrial applications hmm. uh you know uh, the wild got uh, recently a couple i think a couple of years ago the wild here in portland which did like a pre-visualization for architecture got acquired by um autodesk uh there's a company that does bim design um, called argyle that is now working really closely with uh magic leap um these things are out there these solutions are out there and they're being used but for whatever reason apple or um I'm thinking about Apple now. Yeah. Uh, Meta hasn't added them to the store, given them that, that that placement. But a big part of that is because, like, look these these headsets, even like the Quest Two, it's running on a very taxed Google device, basically. Mm -hmm. um, not Google, but Android, and yeah. and so it can only be pushed so far. So that's what interests me about the the Vision Pro is it's got the same processor, 
as their M, like all of their like hardware like it's got an m2 processor but they offload it with a second mystery processor called the r1 which is doing all the spatial computing so you're not being restricted to what a basic android phone could process even like the most expensive one you're being restricted to what an actual apple device can process uh, yeah. it's not an iphone shoved into a headset right it's it's a it's a apple studio shoved into a headset which also explains like that $3,500 price tag if you break it down you know yeah all right we're gonna have to wrap up soon but I want to ask you two more questions one is what do you think the impact of the vision pro is going to be on music making music listening and music engagement it's up to the industry um the industry's slow dude like they it's the one industry that they can have all the answers written in black and white right in front of them and they will take a decade to jump into it. So you're talking about you're the recording, have, recording and publishing industry is what you're talking about. The whole music, the, yeah, music industry as a whole. Yeah. Because a lot of that industry is, they've they've built their fiefdoms and they protect it. And change disrupts that. And anyone who knows me, like the term disruption is like my least favorite word, but in this particular case, it's accurate. Um, as you look at how the music industry has always been held, like look at what's going on with, we, we talk about like concerts in, in the virtual space. Uh, and we were watching this weird dumpster fire at Ticketmaster right now over the last year. You think that company knows what to do with a virtual concert? No, they don't know. They can have the whole plan written out from it. It's gonna be very hard to convince them, but they do have the live event industry with like Live Nation really locked down. What do, what do they do? in that moment, uh, hopefully adopt, but they're probably going to go kicking and screaming. Um, the same thing with like PROs and record labels and like they want to maintain all of that, but they don't really know what that means as soon as it's in a virtual environment. You know, the, the, the thing that I'm actually really passionate about now, and you and I are going to have coffee about this later because I'm not going to talk too much about it, but this is what I will say, is I am on the soapbox of video games are a performance they're not a one-off like cartridge anymore and we're not treating video games as the same as like any other area where performances happen that has to change um and and it's going to be hard but it's an inevitability just people have to like wake up to it you heard it here first on the Music Tectonics podcast. Lee Keebler, this has been awesome. Hey, one last thing. We like to expand our networks at Music Tectonics, and one way we build community is by getting guests like you to shout out some companies or people our listeners should follow. Who do you have top of mind? It could be with immersive experience in spatial computing. It could be music-related. What do you got? Uh, well, anything like – Follow Kathy Hackle. Uh, I, I think do. the world she's for her. Great. She's doing some amazing stuff. Um, there's an amazing uh, videographer producer who's been in the VR space, Adam Davis McGee. Follow what he's doing. Um, he was the director for In Protest, which was released by uh, by Oculus um, during the the George Floyd protests. Amazing content there. He's really pushing the boundaries. I got some stuff that I can't talk about right now, but you know, keebs.com. Um, that's where you can find me at K E E B Z. Uh, yeah. Like there's just find me on the LinkedIn and you'll see everything that I'm talking about. A company here in Portland that is doing some cool stuff called invisible thread. Um, they're, uh, they got some stuff cooking 
in this space that I think is going to be pretty amazing as well. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's my like short list of nice. people you probably aren't following, but you should be. Perfect. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Lee, this has been an absolute blast. Um, looking forward to spending some time with you as I make my way to the Pacific Northwest. Maybe I'll get to meet some of these folks. Maybe we'll get you down in Santa Monica at the Music Tectonics Conference. But thank you so much for letting us dive into your uh, your your brain where you're breaking stuff and uh, not falling into the uh, growing up trap, but really sharing some great knowledge. Thanks so much, Lee. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know we do free monthly online events that you, our lovely podcast listeners, can join? Find out more at musictectonics.com. And while you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference and sign up for our newsletter to get updates. Everything we do explores the seismic shifts that shake up music and technology, the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. That's my favorite platform. Connect with me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it. We'll be back again next week, if not sooner. You're listening to Music Tectonics.